sometimes when you start a journey, you end up at your destination different than when you left. And that's it, even if you make it at all. Because in a roadmap of life, there are many paths we could take. Why we turn one way instead of another isn't always clear to us at the time. And other times, it is. If everything looks so complete when you're walking out on the street, you best be prepared for when the wind is going to catch your feet and send you flying. Today, I hear the wild night calling us to ask the question, Thelma and Louise, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Boyd Diaz. I'm Seth Crow. And I'm Megan Branham. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Present. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's the best you got. I'm, I'm here. Is here. <laughs> We're here. Uh, yeah. How's everybody's week been so far? Uh, well, I lost my wallet and my car is in the shop. But <laughs> oh my god! Wait, you you lost your wallet too? That yeah, I did. That sucks. <laughs> but I've had it honestly. It's been kind of a good week other than that. I went dancing last night. Ooh, um, nice. Where'd you go dancing? Honky Tonk Tuesday. Oh, okay. So okay, was it line dancing or was it like real dancing? It was. I can't line dance, or I it can't. was like two stepping. Um, which I also can't really do, but uh, you can fake it. I feel easily. like everybody can line dance. That's the whole no. point of line dancing. No. You have to like show up early and learn the dances, but I don't think they do that. I think they have like two-step or like country swing classes at this place, but line dancing is like every song has its own thing. Did you not watch the movie? No, I did. There's there's like intense line dancing. I know. (laughs) I'm just like, everybody doesn't just know that intrinsically? No. That's what it looks like. Yeah, <laughs> people just it. people just walk in off the street and they start doing the line dance. Everybody knows it. How is everyone else's week? <laughs> it's genetic. <laughs> it's generational knowledge. Everybody knows it. <laughs> My uh, week's been pretty good. Um, uh, back at work officially. I got back from the, obviously the wedding last week and kind of just starting to get back into the work week and things like that. So it's been all right. Um, I've uh, been hanging out with some friends and stuff like that. I've been, I get, like I said last year, I've been trying to be more social. So like whenever a social opportunity comes around, I'm just trying to be like, okay, sure, I'll, 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 I'm in. So that's been different, but it's been fun. I came back from this wedding with a brand new confidence. Let me tell you, I'm riding oh. high. I'm riding high, and I'm hey. gonna gonna ride it until it's until the wave dies down because someone is. knew all the line dances at the wedding i did know all the actually <laughs> funny point about that um so my sister you know picked handpicked the playlist for the wedding that they she gave to the like every song four to five hours worth of music she picked every single song on the list um and one of the stipulations she's like she didn't want my sister's very uh I'll say she's a little bit like me in, at times, where she's a little bit of a contrarian in that she didn't want like all the typical songs that you would hear at every single wedding. She's like, you hear those at every wedding. I would like you to like be able to dance to different songs that you're not going to hear at every single wedding, right? There were some like classics on there, but like she's like, I'd rather pick songs that we love and that we'd like to dance to, but aren't, you know, the top 200 wedding songs that everybody listens to. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cupid Shuffle. That was one of them. So see, my dad really – so my dad – and she asked everybody in the family to make suge- suggestions. 
Uh, and my dad just literally sent a list of the, a link to the top 200 wedding songs of all time. But one of them on there that he's like, he really wanted to have was to keep the shuffle. My sister's like, I really don't want any like big group line dances. I didn't want the cha-cha slide, the electric slide, the Macarena, the Macarena, Cotton Eye Joe. Like she's like, I don't want any of those. Yeah. Um, but she made an exception for the Cupid Shuffle because everybody really wanted it. And that's like the coolest one. You know what I mean? The Cupid Shuffle is the coolest one. My best friend who's getting married in, I think, a week now, um, She uh, her DJ criticized her song choices for the same reason. He was like, you don't have any dance songs on here. And she was like, if you play the Cupid Shuffle or the Cha-Cha Slide, you're fired. Um, so she had a similar it's, it's, I think a lot of people are starting to reject those songs because it's like, yeah, you they're so cliche and like, like it almost make you groan when you hear them sometimes. But if some people wouldn't get on the dance floor if they didn't yeah, have that's those true. songs. That's true. I'll yeah. say this. I'll say this. Uh, at this wedding, we we made a playlist of songs that were very fun to dance to and were songs that everybody really loved. And so like the vibe was really good. And then when that song, when Cupid Shuffle did come in, everybody was in a really awesome mood. So everybody did dance and it didn't feel like, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it hit because we didn't do every single other one. Yeah, I, I've come up with a solution to the to the not people not dancing problem at weddings. At my wedding, we're gonna eat, and then all the tables are gonna be pushed together and become the dance floor. So you have so there's no tables after that. So everybody has to get on the dance floor. Oh, so it's just the, the one, it's just going to be one room, not like a, a, a table side and then the dance floor side. You're just going to like push all the tables aside. Yeah, the, that's no, the no, the, ta- the tables become the dance floor. So like they'll be. Oh, they're like, people are going to get up on them? Yeah, yeah. That's gotta, pretty sick. Tables structurally sound enough to do that? What are the tables? Uh, I know, I know a structural engineer or a mechanical engineer oh. who can do it. We're oh, theater yeah. people. We know how to make tables people can dance on. <laughs> That's why they get that degree. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been assimilating back into normal life and just trying to like hang out more with people and not be antisocial. So it's been good. It's been good. I've been feeling good. So how about you, Seth? You said you're present. What does that mean? I'm present. I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I went to Zany's last night, which I had never, uh, done before. Comedy club. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a legendary kind of comedy club Mm -hmm. in the country. And uh, I saw Josh Black, who is kind of a uh, stand-up here in town that's blowing up a little bit. And that was cool. Um, it also is like a tiny little like window into the stand-up world at large. So uh, it's mo- I- I'm, this year I'm trying to get like focused uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, do some stuff that I was trying to do before the pandemic. So uh that's been where my head's at so trying to write a little bit um argue about certain things that i can or can't say on stage but i'm sure we'll you know that'll all come out in the the wash here on what's it about <laughs> yep 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 time to process our feelings and yeah, let me there's let a better me... place to do that than in something that's permanently recorded yeah charity well, that, well, that's that's the stakes, right? Like that's why that's why we do this. Uh, I, yeah, and the I, audience is is maybe just a little bit bigger than than if you did stand up at I, a random place. Yeah, yeah. I 
I uh, I asked a comedian. I don't know if I. I think I did talk to you, Megan, about one of the things I was I was uh, debating on, which I'm not going to quote here. Uh, but I did ask about about uh, a, a fellow comedian friend who is a lesbian black woman about this particular joke I was trying to tell, and she was like, "I think you have to say it." <laughs> So, you know, opinions you can. I mean, it I doesn't mean might, I can. I think she's might be trying to eliminate another white person off the <laughs> earth. That's, that's not that's not totally inaccurate probably. <laughs> she's like, "Ha, I got another one." <laughs> but no, we're not talking we, well maybe we'll Shout out to Miriam Kirk. Today. Shout out yeah. to Miriam Kirk. Shout out shout out Miriam Kirk. But we're not here to talk about Miriam. We're not here to talk about weddings. We're not here to talk about stand up or we might be we can talk about any of those things but what we're truthfully here to talk about at least for a moment is the 1991 crime road trip movie Thelma and Louise so that is the movie we're watching today uh Megan you picked Thelma and Louise why why Thelma and Louise um it's a classic mm-hmm. uh it's everything about it is just you rewatch it over and over the music's great the casting's great the writing's great um i just i watched it when i was like 17 mm. and it's one of those ones where every i rewatch it once maybe once a year once every couple of years and every time i rewatch it i feel like i get something new from it never get sick of it and also strangely that whole vibe of it like the the 90s kind of small town or like south like it just mm. reminds me of home a little bit those accents remind me of home so it's like I feel like I know them for lots of reasons. It's that one of those familiar familiar films that kind of finds one in your life and like you said, you kind of go back to a lot and feels like home type of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. I have only seen uh, Thelma Lee's once. It was, I can't even remember when it was, but you know, it, it had crossed my path before. Uh, so this was my second viewing of it. Um, and I really like it. Uh, I mean, I'll get into my feelings because I do like it, but my feelings about it are complicated. Um, it made me feel a lot of things. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very excited to get into to more of this movie. But uh, I do like the movie very much, and it is fun and enlightening in lots of different ways, for sure. Mm-hmm. What about you, Seth? What's your experience with Thelma and Louise? Uh, this was my first viewing. Uh, I wish I hadn't known the ending because I think it would be a lot. Yeah more fun if like or you know a bigger like ah moment at the end uh but uh what i'm i felt like this in a strange way i know it it, there is no universe this is true but uh i felt like it was a prequel to pulp fiction in a lot of ways like it felt like some some of the tone and vibe and like the whole like outlaw nature of things and uh also just like the the lead cop being the same actor as uh the wolf yeah in pulp fiction it almost felt like this is what sent him over the edge to become the wolf like like there's just like that and the scene especially the scene that like captures it the most to me like i feel like there's no way quentin tarantino wasn't majorly influenced by this film like just vibe wise. Um, I can see that. This, the scene, the scene with the guy on the bicycle smoking the joint 
Yeah. Like that's that whole moment feels like straight out of Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Like it just so I know it's not. I know it's not. But Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I mean, it's like one of the movies that made me want to like be involved in movies. So like I appreciated that this captured that tone so well. Um, mm-hmm. The tone that I like long for in a film. Um, and there was one more thing. Oh, yeah. The only the only like real beef I had with this movie was it's not fucking Arkansas. Like it's clearly <laughs> Los Angeles. And it's like, <laughs> like, like that was the only like. No, Seth. That was Arkansas. <laughs> Everybody who's from Arkansas, everybody's been through Arkansas, knows that's exactly what Arkansas looks like. It has palm trees. <laughs> Arkansas is known for its palm trees. I had accidentally, like two summers ago, uh, my friend and I did a road trip from, we went from here to Arkansas and then Utah, uh, New Mexico. And I didn't realize that we had accidentally traced their little, their path. Yeah. Go off the cliff. But we did everything else. I'm glad you didn't drive off the cliff into a grand, the Grand Canyon. Her car was not nearly as cool either. Yeah, her car is very cool. That green car. Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to share something private about car. Like, uh, about – I have, like, a superstition, and this car feeds into that, and I'll, I'll talk, talk to you about it later. Okay. Don't forget. All right. So we kind of set the basis as to our own histories with – uh, Thelma and Louise. So let's talk a little bit about the movie's actual history, its production history, and how it came to be. Uh, so putting the players in place here, this film was directed by Ridley Scott. Yes, that Ridley Scott, the Ridley Scott who also directed The Duelist, Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, Someone to Watch Over Me, Black Rain, 1492, Conquest of Paradise, White Squall, G.I. Jane, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood, Prometheus, The Counselor, Exodus, Gods and Kings, The Martian, Alien Covenant, All the Money in the World, The Last Duel, and House of Gucci. There are some all-timers in there, but there are also some big misses. Um, my goodness, some big misses. Yeah. Um, and this film was written uh, by Callie Corey. Callie Corey being the also the writer of Something to Talk About, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, Hollis and Ray, and the Aretha Franklin biopic from a couple years ago, Respect, as well as many episodes of the TV show Nashville. So those are the players in place. And let's talk about the trip that this film took from concept to screen. Some movies find an easy path to production, while it can be a long and winding road for others. In the case of Thelma and Louise, unfortunately, it is the latter, as back in the late 80s, future Oscar-winning screenwriter Callie Corey was just a producer for music videos. Feeling stifled and like her time producing music videos was coming to an end, Corey decided to take a crack at writing screenplays, something she had no experience doing and had never even considered doing to that point. She tried writing a few sitcoms with a comedian friend of hers at first, but one day as she was driving home from set to her apartment in Santa Monica, Corey got the inspiration for a two-female-led crime-spree movie. It then took Corey six months to finish the script, 
and originally it was meant to be a low-budget independent film that Corey and fellow music video producer Amanda Temple could direct together. However, Corey and Temple would shop the script around a little bit for producers and didn't get any bites. But eventually, the script made its way to the head of Percy Main Productions, which would eventually become Scott Free Productions, Ridley Scott's production company. Scott himself really liked the project and offered to help produce the film. But wait, we still have a ways to go. Scott pursued a handful of directors to helm the project, all of which turned him down. Running low on options, Scott was hesitant to take on directing the film, but Hollywood icon Michelle Pfeiffer convinced him to do it. Now, where did Michelle Pfeiffer come from, you may ask? Well, in the early stages of the production, Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster were slated to star as the titular renegades. But due to the long pre-production process of the film, both ladies had to drop out. And they weren't the only ones. Other superstars who were attached to this film at one point also include Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. But eventually, the film would land on Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. The film was finally shot in late summer of 1990 and came crashing into theaters in the summer of 1991. With a budget of around $16 million, the film would wind up grossing just over $45 million, making it a moderate commercial success. However, the film's critical success would far outweigh its financial success, as its massive critical acclaim launched it into many award nominations, including six Oscar nominations for Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematographer, Best Film Editing, and a Best Leading Actress nod for both Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. And while they would end up losing to Jodie Foster for The Silence of the Lambs, someone on the team did win. Former music video producer turned Oscar-winning screenwriter, Callie Corey, would end up taking home the Best Original Screenplay Oscar. And since Thelma and Louise's release back in the early 90s, the film's legacy has only gotten stronger as many movie fans hail the film as a fantastic piece of feminist cinema. So much so, that, in fact, that in 2016, the film was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress and the National Film Registry for its cultural, historical, and aesthetic significance. The road may have been long, and the journey may have been rough, but I'd say where it all ended up was pretty spectacular, and it was a wild ride to boot. That is the story of Thelma and Louise. Yeah. 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 It's funny how this film, it's really interesting how sometimes like the vibe of the film itself mirrors the history of the film. The fact that it was like, it was getting passed around constantly and and a lot of these these men were like nah i don't want to do this movie finally got made and look at that it's one of the one of the greatest movies all time you know those other actresses are kicking their asses kicking their own asses for not being in this movie i don't know jody jody foster ended up winning the oscar that year for the movie that she had to leave to do it and it right and to be honest it wasn't those actresses faults the movie was t- just taking too long to get to get going that they, they had other projects that were coming up. So it wasn't like they left because they wanted to just, you know, conflicts, co- scheduling conflicts, you know? Yeah. It's a bummer, though. I mean, uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was really a champion for this film early on, obviously. And so it was I'm sure she was not happy that she had to to pass on it eventually. I just mean, it's like. It's a legendary movie. Yes, it know? is. It's it's like 
one of the most iconic female lead films of all time for sure. I mean, it's yeah. it's Thelma and Louise. How often do people reference Thelma and Louise? I mean, I I feel like in the cultural zeitgeist, whenever we see like two women who are best friends, they, people call them Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, like the driving off the canyon is like an iconic image too. Referenced all the time. Hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like I know a lot of women who have watched this movie, and this movie affected them like Pulp Fiction affected me. You know, mm-hmm. like. Like suddenly they're they're like, fuck it, I'm leaving, and and then they move away, <laughs> or something. I don't know. Just like, like that. That's like when they get their the wild streak to go do something crazy. Yeah, I think also um, those actresses. The reason it was so sought after, I watched an interview with Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, who I think everything happened for a reason because that's like like I said, I think it's perfectly cast, and I think that's like the perfect director. It was written so well, but I think. Um, from what they said, part of the draw was so rare. It was so rare to get a movie where it was two, two women mm-hmm. on the same level, and they weren't pitted against each other. And it wasn't like a, I don't know, a fluffy like it just it was a real female like friendship or love story, or, or it was just a very authentic, if uh, heightened portrayal of that relationship. And that was so rare. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think. While the movie and the plot may be, like you said, heightened for sure, like it's a little ridiculous, it gets a little ridiculous as the movie goes on. The relationship is very real, though. Then the relationship never gets hyperbolic, right? Yeah, no, and that's you're right, that's such good control by the writer to let the plot get hyperbolic, but not the relationship. Yeah, the characters always stay, the characters are so rich and like so, yeah, real feeling, pure presence. For sure. They remind me of my aunts a lot. It you do have big aunt energy, yeah. <laughs> big aunt energy. True. Yeah. Got that big aunt energy. <laughs> big aunt energy. <laughs> I love it. In what way, Seth? Uh, just like I, I, I like they, they, my aunts have that, that longing for freedom in them and then they have also done impulsive stuff so like i just their their vibe reminds me of like a little weathered you know like a little a little like they know they know what's they know they know the they know the way of things and they're gonna they're gonna get theirs they're gonna take care of their own but, you know, they'll do what they have to to get to where they're going, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, they just, they do totally remind me of, of my, I have, I have a bunch of ants I had growing up. Like I had six ants. So, yeah. That's like a whole colony of ants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I only have, I only have the one. The ant <laughs> it's an ant hill. You were. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, I think it might be time for us to talk about what is this film for anybody at home who, again, I don't know what you're doing here if you haven't watched the film yet, but if you haven't or if you haven't watched it in a while, um, to remind you what is this film's plot line. So, Seth, you know what time it is. Um, It's uh, the most important time of the day. It's... Writing with Ricky. 
Writing with Ricky, everyone, the time where Ricky gives us a log line and we score it. I'm still, still, you know, we're still in workshopping this intro. No, no, I like it. <laughs> that sounded like a that sounded like a game show. You know, when they're like, "What did they want?" They've won. Okay, so yes, I have a log line that I've written for this movie. Um, Megan and Seth are going to score me on a scale of one to ten, and we are going to add that into my average for the year and overall average for the show. Um, right now, I'm sitting for the year. I'm sitting at eight point six, uh, and for the entire show, uh, I'm sitting at about an eight point three five. So not bad. I would like to keep it above an eight. We'll see how it goes. So here is the. Plot summary, the logline for Thelma and Louise, as according to me. Two women find themselves on the run from the law in a cross-country chase after murdering a man that sets them off on a crime spree. What do you guys think? I'm still not entirely... I think I need to know more about loglines, because I don't feel uh, equipped to... You. Well, what? Okay, what would you like to know about log lines? Well, are they supposed to just be? Because last time you guys referenced tone, mm-hmm. um, so if they're supposed to set like that, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I gather that they're supposed to sum up the movie. So, um, so yeah. Uh, to to be fair, uh, for people out there who don't know what a log line is meant to to do, a log line is meant to be a the snootiest one... thing you could possibly write ever. But <laughs> it's it's meant to be a one to two short phrase about the movie that does give kind of a general idea of what people are going to see in the movie. Sometimes, if your movie is a lot about a lot about more about tone than than it is about the plot, sometimes adding things in to give you a sense of tone can be helpful. Um, but not every logline needs that. Some, like lastly, you know, the plot of Twenty Seven Dresses isn't as exciting as like. The flavor of Twenty Seven Dresses, which is right. so things like that. You Cine- can kind of judge it per movie. Cinephiles are maybe some of the most judgmental people I've ever met, and <laughs> judgmental and pretentious people I've ever met. And cinephiles or people who write log lines professionally are like the the creme de la creme of pretentious people, and that's why it's like one of the hardest things to write is because your log line is essentially your pitch for your movie. Hmm. And yeah, look at, look at, look at this guy, look at this guy. Uh, (laughs) But uh, a log line essentially is, is pitching your movie to the audience, Mm -hmm. but you're maintaining the integrity of the mystery of the film. You're trying to, yeah, you're trying, basically you're trying to condense and boil down the experience of the movie into Two to three sentences at the most. Okay, I think I'm ready to score it. Okay. Okay. Seven. Seven. Okay. I'll agree. Okay, I agree. It's not one of my favorites either. So I think you guys are right on the right on the money with this. Uh, I I struggled with this one quite a bit. I I had ri- written it and rewritten it several times because it it is tough to capture the tone of this movie without giving away some of the surprise yeah some of the surprises of like what sets this this story off and the the actual fun and tone of it is is really tough it's tough but i'll take the 7 i think that's absolutely fair i don't think you can give away the murder exactly oh really yeah hmm 
I think I was I guess I was thinking is like why was the murder was like the thing that you want to hold back more so. I feel like the murder would come through in like a trailer. You know what I mean? It would show her like doing it and then them being on the run. Like if I was imagining a trailer, I bet that would be in there. But yeah, yeah. Maybe. but like I said, but that's a fair point. That's a fair point. It's a balancing act. So I'll take the sevens. So we average it out to a seven between the two of you. We add that in there. Okay, let's get my new score for the for the year so far. I know that's going to bring it down just a smidge, but that's okay. Whoops, that's not right. I want an average, not a sum. That's so silly. There we 15. go. Uh, 8.1. 8.1. So they did bring me down just a little bit, but that's okay. Not a big deal. I'll take the 8.1. And what does that do to my average for the overall? Let's find out. Overall, that now gives me an average of 8.28. So around 8.3. So still, still above an 8. Let's bring me down just a smidge, but I think a 7 is solid. And again, I did struggle just a smidge with this one, so I think it's okay. And this has been Math with Ricky. Yeah, we do math on this show, too. Who knew, you guys? This is an artistic show. Who knew you'd get math, too? <laughs> wow. Oh, I have, a, I have a little game for you guys. Uh-oh. I, to be fair, Megan, you're going to be a little at a disadvantage. But just cause, it's just because you're new. Okay. Uh, so, but we can see if you can guess any. Um, uh, so, again, Thelma and Louise is another film that has been added to the uh, – uh, National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. On this show, throughout our 53 episodes now, uh, this being episode 53, um, we have done nine films that have been uh, preserved by the uh, National Film Registry, um, including Thelma and Louise. So what are maybe some of the other eight that you might think? I have to cheat. You can look up the list if you want to. What? Okay, okay. I didn't know. You love our list of episodes if you want to try and guess. I'm just curious if you guys like it's interesting to see what films get preserved and what films don't. Home Alone? No. <laughs> that's a that's a national tragedy if it's not. I know. It needs to be preserved. We're preserving it for them. <laughs> Die Hard? Die Hard is one. Yeah. The Matrix? The Matrix is one. The Exorcist. The Exorcist is also one. Oh, yeah. Three. That's three. So there's five more. Louise. Thelma and Louise. That's four. Yep. Okay. Four of the nine. So you got five more. The Thing? No. Mm. Oh. Big? No. Oh. Mm. Eternal Sunshine? No. Really? Yeah, I know, right? I'm running out of movies. I know. This is tough because I was surprised on some of them too. A goofy movie? No, I wish. Oh, damn. I will preserve that for us. Uh, Fear and Loathing? No. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. There are ones I don't think you would think initially. Framed Roger Rabbit. That's another one, so that's five. That one's pretty sick. Clueless? Nope. Oh, it should be. I know. It's interesting. Like I said, it's interesting what they pick. Grease? Grease, yes. Yeah, that's six. Really. Lord of the Rings? Yep, that's seven. Yep. Two more. I don't know if these last two uh, are. The Dark uh, Knight. Uh, the Dark Knight, yep. That's yeah, one. That's yeah, it's, one. There's one more. This one might be the hardest one. Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> no, no. 
No, that movie should be the opposite. <laughs> that's it. Megan, if you want an atrocity to uh, experience on our podcast, Hollywood Boulevard is definitely okay. That movie is the opposite of preservation. We Listen, should we were we were trying to watch film. we were trying to watch Sunset Boulevard, and I said oh. I said I said Hollywood Boulevard, and it is a sexploitation film. <laughs> yeah, trigger. We put a big trigger warning on that episode for everybody. Yeah. It is intense. Scream. Nope. Mm. League of their own. League of their own. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Good Even job. We got him, guys. But isn't Gina it, Davis every time? Dina Davis every time. It, it's interesting the ones that they pick, right? Because it's not, not necessarily the ones you initially might think. All of those kind of make sense to me. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There we go. Well, we'll see how many more we add to that list as we go. We're gonna play this game every time. No. <laughs> so remember no. that list, everybody. No. <laughs> All right. Movies. Yes. Just, just keep, just write it down, <laughs> and then you guys are like, "Oh, I know all of them." <laughs> uh, but no, it is time to ask the titular question uh, of the podcast. So, Megan, since this was your choice, you get to pick who you want to ask, oh. and you get to ask it. Okay. Uh, oh, it's so hard. Okay. Um, Seth, Mm -hmm. Thelma and Louise, what's it about? Uh, so I would be remiss to not highlight the feminist themes in this film. Uh, the feminist themes are very prevalent and great. However, I like to take a more macro approach to my philosophies about a film. Uh, So for me, in terms of like human nature, this movie is about the things that literally push you over the edge. So like what, what in life makes you cross a threshold to do things to, to, you know, go after something or, I mean, but, and, and that to an extreme at the end of this film is like, there is like, are there thresholds you shouldn't cross, you know? So it, it does pose that question to some degree. Um, I think in this film, these women had to, but uh, it is a kind of like cognitive dissonance there at the end, because we all want to see them get away and live. So it's like this like bittersweet ending, right? Um, so yeah, I, uh, that to me, what I what I saw, the thing that like just kept kept showing up was what pushes you over the edge, what makes you snap, or what is what is the thing that causes you to cross a mental threshold in your mind to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I, I I totally agree. My my initial feeling it on the film and like what I like really my theme gleaned from it is very similar to that where it's you know like like I was saying in the intro like what makes us what makes us make the turns and and go down the roads that we go down and the where you end up is not always where you expected and it's usually and sometimes it can be to an extreme mm-hmm. and you never thought you would end up there um yeah. and so I was saying uh, to kind of enter this movie is like um, 
this movie made me very upset in that the way that people treat these characters really upset me in a lot of ways. Um, They are condescended to, they are infantilized. They are, people are constantly out to make them the victims, to victimize them. And Mm -hmm. it, it kind of pissed me off. I mean, from, from Thelma's husband to obviously the guy at the bar, um, even to Brad Pitt's character, you know, like people are kind of looking to prey upon them and I don't like it. It made me very upset in a lot of ways. I think that's the point though. You know, it's, it's meant to highlight the way that people treat, especially treat women. Mm. Um, and it's all men that are doing it too, which makes it even more frustrating, obviously. And again, that's, I know that's the point of the film. Um, but something uh, kind of a sub theme to this idea of like what makes us, what pushes us over the edge, what triggers us, what what makes us make our decisions. The biggest thing I saw is running away from trauma, right? Um, mm-hmm. The whole the whole crux of this this movie is Luis was sexually assaulted in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, don't trigger warning to everybody at home. Um, um, but that's the whole crux of this movie, and and. It kind of is a big part portion of this movie. Luis was sexually assaulted in Texas and ran away from it and refuses to talk about it, refuses to bring it up. She refuses to even go into the state of Texas anymore. She she's literally running away from her problems and the, this un this unresolved trauma is what triggers her to to murder this other guy who is preparing to sexually assault Thelma outside this bar. And then they run away from that and they were, you know, and it's like, oh, we would have gotten blamed. We, 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 we don't, we don't know. They don't know that. They just assume that. I know yeah. it's they time period. Assume, yeah. I understand why they do because you do. Maybe, maybe that detective would have helped. It seemed like he did genuinely mm-hmm. care and want to help, but I think they had every reason to assume that they wouldn't get help. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that's like, they can't even trust somebody who actually does want to help them at this point because so many things have happened to them that it, it's completely wrecked their ability to trust anyone, you know? And, and Louise obviously already is in that place, right? She, she's already lost trust and faith in people. Mm-hmm. And Thelma still has it a little bit, even after this, this, this incident that causes them to get go on the run until she's screwed over by Brad Pitt's character. And after that, she's like, well, fuck this world. You know? Um, Yeah. That I think, um, snapped is an interesting word that you use, Seth. I think I agree with what you're both saying. I think it's about like a turning point, but I don't even know if, I mean, obviously like the, the murder part is snapping, but as far as like what changes, how they, how they behave and how they navigate the world i think like they always come back to this like i've done something and i can't undo it or i'm awake now or things are different something's crossed over i think as opposed to snapping it's kind of just like that moment i think probably everyone has it but i think women in particular there's a moment in your life where you go from like just being so used to being the person like i don't know consumed or or looked at or so the subject of things and then something happens or you learn something or you just exist in the world long enough to realize that you can do the looking and you open your eyes a little bit. And then sometimes it does. I think this movie is so cathartic for women to watch because it's like, obviously that's an extreme, 
but it does feel good to watch them just be like, fuck it. Everything has been, this is not the world that was created for us. We're going to make our own. Mm -hmm. And that's, it just feels so good to watch. (laughs) Catharsis is such a great word for it, for Megan. And, and because you're right, like this movie, I think like, if you want to like really, really put a point to it is freedom. Right. Yes. Something we talked about with Pirates of the Caribbean. It's about them releasing themselves from these like bonds that they've put themselves under and particularly bonds that men have put them under and allowing themselves to, to live as freely as they could ever possibly want to. And, and to Seth's point, the world doesn't necessarily allow that. It's like, you can't just do anything you want all the time. There are consequences to your actions, even though you might be two lovely, lovely people. You can't just do anything you want. You can't. Yeah. Like, there are consequences. And, like, one thing that really kind of, like, made me very uncomfortable was the scene where, like, the guy pulls him over in Utah. The cop pulls him over in Utah. Yeah. And they lock him in his trunk. I'm like, yeah. that is potentially murder of a of an innocent person. I think he's fine. He I is fine. Him. He is. But, like, in my head, locking she somebody in the trunk in a desert. Yeah. It's yeah. very dangerous. I think that scene to me, I never think about like, you know, I obviously. The reality like, of it. Yeah. It, and when you're watching a movie, everyone picks and chooses what they're going to be like, wait a second. Um, I think that scene is so, just like the radio shooting is really funny. The, I, yeah. Watching Selma like take control like that is really fun. So I think I, I focus on, and the air holes in the trunk, I focus mm. on those things. But yeah, it is, it's a, it's a little far. <laughs> Because it is, it is played off as funny, and it and it is a good, great character moment for Thelma, like you said, where she like takes such control, and Luis is like, "What? Yeah, like whoa, whoa." Um, and it is funny, and I agree. And I think because it's played with laughs, it kind of just like got to me a little bit. Where I was like, "That's not necessarily very funny." And he, even he's like, "I have a wife and a kid." And she's like, "Good, treat him well," because my husband didn't. Look what happened to me. I thought that was so funny. It's a great line. Yeah, it's a great line. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, but like in reality. That yeah. is really dangerous. Right. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't I, help it. I I think so we can we can say that this is an outlaw freedom movie for women, right? It is. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so that being said, I think it's okay that it's allows itself to indulge in some different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. like I you could get locked down in the logic of, of like the guy being in the trunk or like, why the fuck did they blow up that? I love that though. That's uh, funny as hell. No, I mean the, those outfits. <laughs> no, but like, like why would they blow up that gas thing? It's like literally smoke signals to where, yeah, they, where are. they are. Yeah. So, but, but that's not what it's about. Right. It's about like indulging in the emotion of the freedom. Right. It's mm-hmm. about indulging in the experience of the freedom and like even the ending like logically this is fucking stupid don't die sad yeah yeah but like emotionally it's it is cathartic it is it is a it is a emotionally expressive movie it's it's about the emotional expression of the film and the yeah yeah, no, I agree completely. And the end for me, when I first watched it, when I was like six, 17, 16, I was like, that's so sad. And I didn't know about the end when I first watched it. I don't know how I avoided that spoiler, but um, 
the every time I watch it now, I'm like, yeah, like, and I've heard an interview, Susan Sarandon, she always like harkens back to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, where at the end of that, we see them, spoiler for that too, kind of like go out in a blaze of blue. <laughs> and I don't think the response to that, usually when people are watching that, they're like, that's cool. I'm like, look at them do that. They're like not compromising on what they've like learned and who they are now. And I think um, when we watch this movie for some reason, we're like, oh, sad. Like those two sweet ladies went off the cliff. Whereas I watch it now and I'm like, no, yeah, go off the cliff. Don't don't compromise. You've made it this far. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it feels so like strangely, like, I don't know. There's a weird hope, not even hopefulness, but like that freeze frame and the music and the way it's edited. It just feels well. It, it feels like a release. It feels like yeah. a release. It is a yeah. it's a tension release of like a burst. You know, it is very bombastic and it's big. And so it is this like release of actual like tension because they're sitting there and the cops are are telling them to you know turn off the engine and like you put your hands up and like they're sitting there and they're debating whether or not they're going to do it. So there's this tension building. And not only that, we have the detective and I don't remember his name. So I'm just going to call him Harvey Keitel. Cause that's who yeah. he is. <laughs> uh, I think his name's Hal. Hal. Um, like well, uh, Harvey Keitel <laughs> um, is like running to them being like, like, like stop, please. I'm, I really do want to help you. Right. And and like so, this is all this tension of like, okay, are they gonna give themselves up and again? If you don't already know the end of that move, the movie, there is a tension, mm-hmm. and then they just go, you know, yeah. and and he's even running after them like, no, great, a great shot. It's a great shot, and then they go over, and it's it is beautiful. It is a release of that tension of like, because you don't want them to be caught either. You don't right. want them to be caught. You don't want them to die, but like. We feel so strange too, and like their journey throughout the movie for them to like get out of the car at that moment, like it wouldn't feel right at all. Mm. Um, so I think that was kind of the only way that it could end. Um, yeah. Even if you know, you know, I have some for for me, the biggest tragedy of this movie isn't necessarily that they die at the end because you're right, it does feel so cathartic and such like such a, a release. For me, yeah. the biggest tragedy is that there is somebody that does want to help them. That they yeah. can't, that they do not trust at all throughout the entire movie. And like, I kind of, I like that character, mm-hmm. uh, but I am so, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily trust that by the time they went through everything and I don't know in the, in the minutia of everything, I'm not sure that he could have done that. <laughs> that's what, that's the other thing that made me think of Megan. You hit the nail on the head where it's like, I think that he, he personally does care and he wants to help but what is his actual ability and capacity to have any influence on anything and what we yeah. see is he has zero because yeah. the fbi comes in and is literally like we're not listening to you anymore yeah, right. yep. like you have no power in this situation this is an fbi this is a federal thing because they've traveled over many state lines and so this is now a federal thing it's no longer an arkansas state thing so like mm-hmm. sorry dude you have no power whatsoever yeah like you, you're not gonna be able to help. <laughs> Shut up, Seth. <laughs> Seth, we get that you have a problem with Arkansas. Our Arkansas fans out there, Seth doesn't like your state. Seth thinks your state is ugly, and he wishes no, it looked just... more like Los Angeles. <laughs> that is a quote from Seth before he said he said it before the show. <laughs> I I think I think the ending of this movie 
<laughs> had to be what it was because it is a literal like flipping of the proverbial for proverbial bird to cinema itself right like it is it is saying fuck you to your happy ending in a way uh it's it is a pro-feminist ending like it is like even even your happy ending is a patriarchal like implementation so the only way for this movie to end is if we if they make their own choices and kill themselves you know like like it is a it is a fuck you to traditional cinema i guess well it's also the ultimate exertion of power right yeah. of of choice you know your choice with literally with your own life in your hands Right. And there is the danger, of course, of like glamorizing it. I've heard that criticism before, which is valid mm-hmm. um, and I think should be talked about. But I think, um, again, if you all those other outlaw movies that came before it where men put themselves in those mm-hmm. same positions and go out in that blaze of glory. And I don't think those ones get brought up in that glorification of um, suicide as much as this movie does. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting. Um, I just think that's something that should also be. Address. No, that's you, that's such a fair point. And Seth, we brought this up with some other movies that we've watched. This idea of like the sacrifice for the hero's sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and how that is really glamorized. This like martyrdom of a hero is so glamorized. This idea of like laying down your life for another person, mm-hmm. and is glamorized, and should it be, right? Like in so many movies, the hero like die saving a bunch of people or does this or does that. And it's like, and that's meant to be like something super heroic and like, and aspired to. Mm. And is that dangerous to, to make right. that something that people are like, I aspire to martyr myself. And I think be... we talked about this with true romance. Yeah, we did. And we, yeah, we've romance. talked about it with a, f- a few different movies where characters have made these ultimate sacrifices type things. Um, I think it depends, uh, you know, like I think, I think what makes Delma and Louise work is they're not, they're, they're not, they are getting glory in in their own way, but like, it's not like true romance where he's like, he wants the glory. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Where he's like, he wants to be the badass mm-hmm. where in Delma and Louise, it's like the circumstances unfolded and where they had to become this thing and get to this point so it's like i think it's a different i think i think it's a different thing entirely like mm-hmm. um now if we remove this from a cinematic place like no don't fucking kill yourself nobody like don't, don't drive your car off a cliff yeah, yeah don't drive your car off a cliff like yeah oh man but Did like plan today also I, I, I guess i gotta make new plans for the day <laughs> all right but yeah. from a cinematic point of view this was their only option from a storytelling point of view yeah. and like the tradition of any like myth or yeah any classic story and that's a good sign of good screenwriting is this idea of spontaneity but inevitability right the idea that it, it unfolds naturally organically without being forced and yet the conclusion is inevitable yeah. I also think it's really interesting that you, you brought up the, the martyrdom thing. They're not martyring. They're not doing it for anyone else. Yeah. And I think that's also kind of controversial. And 
um, interesting to see on screen, like a woman sacrificing herself, not for anybody else, Mm. if anything, for each other, maybe, but kind of for all they've, you know, all they've learned about themselves and the the self they've built up over the course of this, Mm. this film. So that's an interesting take. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we're at a point here where we can start to turn and become a little bit more introspective on this. And, and again, the, the, the catalyst of this movie is this sexual assault scene. Um, it's pretty visceral. It's hard to watch. It's yeah. very hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know about you guys. Cause I, I, again, it's been a long time since I'd seen this movie. So I didn't exactly remember all the exact details. And I think when I saw this, I was much younger and not as savvy of a, of a viewer. Mm-hmm. How quickly did you guys realize that Luis had a, a history of SA? The minute, uh, for me, and I can't remember the first time I watched it, if I was as, I, I don't know, now I watch it and I, I mean, I know obviously I've seen it before, but it mm-hmm. feels obvious to me the second that she when she says, if a girl's crying like that, she's not having fun. To me, that feels like the first, and that's like Susan Sarandon's acting too is mm. incredible in that scene. But that felt like the first moment where I was like, that's coming from somewhere. Mm. And I think any woman would know that and say that, but it's the way it's delivered. You're right. I, I feel the same way. It's it's the moment where she where uh, Thelma, she's gotten Thelma away and they're both safe, quote unquote, right? They're, they're, she's not in the, in the position that she's in. And you're right. It is all in in Susan Sarandon's posture and her in her eyes and in her her the way she's holding herself. You can mm-hmm. see that there is some kind of trauma behind the way she's responding to the situation mm-hmm. that she is holding back. And so mm-hmm. I, you're right. Like right away, I was like, oh, she has a history. And yeah. and but Seth, this, I'm interested to hear what you think as someone who's a first time viewer. Uh, I think it's I think it's inherent the whole time, mm-hmm. like I, I mean, no. I, I I may not have said she had been raped, like I may not have had that knowledge, but like just the way she is and carries herself, and the way she reacts when Arlen approaches them, just like her her sense of caution moving through the world that's different than Thelma, you know? And this again, like I said, it reminds me of my aunt. It's like, they've seen some shit, like, Mm. like, like inherently, sadly, a woman like this has probably been assaulted in some way. You know, a woman like this has probably gone through some sort of, like, she knows better. Like she knows better to put herself into a situation that, that like could end up, going south you know yeah and when you say knows i know you mean like knows better and that she knows that you know she it's not her fault at all right right. that's not that's not what i'm saying i'm saying she's she's smart enough to not even put herself in situations she's guarded she knows she knows to be guarded i know that's like i get what you're saying megan i know i know what you're saying and the danger i'm so so sensitive to that and i know that's not all i just like to be like really like yeah. no let's thank you for we want to yeah. we want to talk about this in a, yeah. in a way that is the correct way the correct um, way thank you uh, please check us on any of that 
please. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that in it, in any way her fault, but she is inherently cautious of all scenarios because of her history, you know. Yeah. And and like, like, that, I mean, I think that's a, a complex situation. Like, no one should have to move through the world thinking about being sexually assaulted, right? Yeah. But unfortunately they do. So and even even women who haven't had that experience firsthand. Yeah. Um, so so how I mean I'm I apologize if I said things wrong, but how do I communicate that? You know? Like yeah. I, like I don't know how to like communicate you should be smart. <laughs> like like I don't I don't know. It's a it's a tricky it's tricky rhetoric. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. And, yeah. Um, I think watching it, I didn't even necessarily guess that she had been, um, had that experience firsthand. Um, I think sometimes just existing in the world as a woman and even, again, without that experience, um, some women are just quicker to to build that really thick skin to keep themselves protected um, where they know people who have been in that situation. And so they are kind of like hard and and um put up that guard right away so i was i kind of read her i was like yeah i know women like that um who just like right away are very protective because they just have heard stories and know people and even if they haven't had that experience themselves so i didn't guess it right away but once all that happened um in the parking lot it became clear i yeah for me that's the moment it came clear i thought that i didn't know they the, the script is written really well in showing how different louise and thelma all actually are yeah. um in that, obviously, Louise seems way more traveled in that she seems like she's experienced more of life than Thelma has. Thelma seems like she's been sheltered by the fact that, like, her husband literally does not let her leave the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been with him since she was, like, 14. Yeah. Um, and she's obviously younger than yeah. Than, uh, so, like, so, like, it's like, yeah, very clearly, Thelma is sheltered. N- not by any fault of her own. But just by the fact that, like, literally she met the person she's married to in high school and married him right out of high school. And and then he doesn't let her leave the house by herself. Mm. Like, so, yeah, that's literally sheltered forcibly. But, yes. And and we see that when she gets a little bit of freedom, she goes a little, you know, is playing a little, flying too close to the sun. Yeah. You know? Like she's I always playing- thought it would be so fun to party with uh with Thelma. Yeah, she seems like she'd be a blast. So but like yeah. you're right. Like we immediately see that that Luis is guarded and she's much more aware and wary of every situation. She's she as soon as they get in that bar, she's she's on alert. Yeah, I I think that whole scene's really interesting because that's the first time you see them when they're moving through that bar, all of like just you feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. or at least i do when i'm watching them move through that bar because you feel every man looking at them like mm-hmm. you feel and they're not even really i feel like louise is kind of aware of it Thelma's just like whatever this is fine but they're just so used to it that they're like this is what happens when we go into a place and um one of you if you're in a group of or you know two people or more like one of you is going to be the more guarded one because one of you has to be yeah um, you have to have one friend appointed to make sure that you're you know, no one's being weird. <laughs> no yeah. one's like circling. 
Um, so it just made me, and then like the way that that whole scene just makes me, I, ugh, it just makes me so uncomfortable. The way that Harlan's dancing with her, his oh, arm, his arm around the back of her head. Yeah. Model, I, every girl I know, I have had someone dance with me like that. It's horrible. It feels horrible. Wait, how is he so, dancing with her? He's got he his, has his, his, her neck is here. Oh, wow. And the bottle is here. So he, she's basically like a choke choke Yeah. Um, and like that is people dance like that. And it's just such a, there's just immediately a power dynamic switch when they walk into that bar. Um, and it just made me feel, it always makes me like, ugh. like, even though like a part of me is like fun bar, that looks fun. But then there's little things like that where I'm like, well, that's not a fun part. And that's not a fun part. Um, so that always gets me when I watch that scene. The, something really cool that happens is like, I think the movie does a really, really f- f- good work. And like, you think Luis is the more wild one when like, right when the movie starts, she's got this like fiery yeah. personality. She's like throwing barbs out there. She's got this nice, beautiful green car. She lives the looser lifestyle. You know, she's got boyfriends that she kind of moves through and, and kind of is like, ah, oh, maybe I'll dump them. Maybe I won't. She seems more free spirited. And you think Thelma's like this little like shy flower that's like, oh, I don't know. And then yeah. as soon as they get away from everything, it flips. And Thelma is like way freer and way looser and way like just like going for the fun. You know, Louise doesn't even order a drink at the bar at first. Yeah. I – yeah, I think that's interesting. I think in a way Thelma, because she's had – Seems like she might have had people in her life looking out for her or even maybe not even looking out for her. I think some have been looking out for her and some people have been guarding her and mm. keeping her away from life. But um, I think that gives her a little more freedom to be like loose and fun because someone's always there to be like. She's naive. Yeah, and like you'll be OK, you yeah. know, and like I feel like that that's also a very um, do you, realistic do you, portrayal. Do you think there's subtext that Louise is actually interested in Thelma? Me, do I think? Do you think that's there? I mean, I, I kind of think <clears throat> the kiss at the end, I mean, you can't not acknowledge the kiss at the end. I think that's actually like one of the, I think that's signif- more significant, honestly, than them going over the edge. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. I've heard it. I've I've seen both sides. I've heard both arguments that there is like a romantic subtext, which like, yeah, if you like read it that way, I think it absolutely could. And I don't want to dismiss that. Um, but also I think just personally when I watch it, I think female friendships can be so like borderline romantic anyway that I see that and I'm like, maybe it is romantic. Maybe at this point they are, their, their bond is so deep that it has become that. Um, I don't necessarily see her like feeling that way for Thelma throughout the movie. Um, maybe again, it gets there, but even, even if it's not, I think that kiss is more like just this like deep love, like just any sort of physical act of like, I've never been this close to anyone before. And this bond is, I don't, is I, unique. I think both, you could see it both ways. Yeah, I do too. I think inherently people are going to see it both ways because of the kiss and because of, and I think something Megan brought up is like the way we look at female relationships is, is so skewed in a lot of ways. That like, oh, because two women are very, very close and because they, they have a kiss at the end, even if it's a platonic friendship kiss, people are going to bring it to a romantic place. Mm-hmm. But there's... Yeah. Only- I I personally don't think... I think if any of that is there, it's not there in the beginning. I don't think... Yeah, 
I don't think. Luis, I don't know. I I don't. I think maybe and maybe this is me mapping my own attack like attachment and love language to the characters and that my personal way of like attraction is a like a very built up over time emotional attraction. And mm-hmm. so for me, that's what I'm ascribing to them is that maybe like this like romantic love comes through at the end because of everything they've gone through. They've kind of trauma yeah. bonded together. Yeah. And so I, maybe it comes through later, but I don't I didn't see the the attraction I, at the I, beginning. I so I think you've just highlighted that Louise is like stoked, right? She's like the whimsy at the beginning, like she's like all gung ho about getting to do this thing, right? I think she's just stoked about spending a weekend alone with Thelma. I really do. I really think I... she's excited about that. And like that's why where her excitement's coming through. Cause this is like her favorite person. Like I think it's like her favorite person to be around. And I don't know, Seth, I would feel the same way if me and you were going on a trip. You're saying there's something there? Going any weekend trip with someone that you care about and love is fun. Let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. Let me finish. All right. All right. All right. Now, knowing what we know, like, and there are there are studies and facts that, I mean, uh, like, women are more likely to enter a same sex relationship after physical trauma or sexual assault they will choose more often like the, the studies that I've read and seen, I, I don't, I can't quote them directly, but like men more often say that they are physically driven towards the same sex relationship. Whereas women can are more often to say that they choose to be in a same sex relationship due to trauma. That's interesting. I can't speak to that. And I don't know anything about that research. I think that's such a, you know, personal thing. And it gets into like, sexuality is so personal and complicated. So I just kind of the only place that I can speak from is personally, I, I do want to say I, it's hard for me to say yes, it is this way or no, it isn't. It's both. It's it's not it's not either. It's how you perceive it, right? Yeah, because I think that there's, if you say no, it's not or I'm sorry, if you say it is romantic, then I feel like you risk losing the part of it that to me is so um, like personally, it feels like this like really romantic take on female friendship and that bond and how special that is and how deep. Um, But also if you say that it's not, then you run the risk of doing that whole like historical, like, well, they were best friends when they were very clearly, you know what I mean? Like the erasure of it. That's, that's hope. It's hope. I think it's good. I don't want it's both. I think it can be both. It's good that it's both. I, I, I will still, if I like to add on to that, not that I know about that study at all, but I think there's an element of toxic masculinity in like, I think sometimes maybe it might be easier for women to acknowledge the fact that, that their sexuality is on a spectrum, hmm. you know, it, it's yeah. more acceptable for women to have their sexuality be on a spectrum and be like, I can I am attracted to men and I can also be attracted to women, but I choose to be with women because, mm-hmm. because of something like I can understand how maybe it's like may, women may use that verbiage more because it's, mm-hmm. it's harder for a man to say I'm on a spectrum of my sexuality and I can go either way. It's way harder for like how many bisexual men are act, like actually admit that they are bisexual, that they are attracted to both men and women. And then mm-hmm. will ch- quote unquote prefer to go with men over women. 
I have a few friends. I mean, we're actors and and stuff. So I, you know, we have friends who are on the, uh, a sexuality spectrum. Uh, and uh, I know I have a very good friend of mine who uh, says, you know, identifies himself as being bisexual. Um, but every person I've ever seen him date has been a woman. But, you know, he identifies himself as one way, but I think his preference is women. But he admits, like, but I've had sexual attractions to men before, and so that's, I don't know, there's a toxic masculinity in admitting admitting that you might choose one thing or the other. Well, and, I, I mean, even, there's a toxic masculinity of, like, having to be, like, I, the only reason, okay, the only reason I bring it up, I'm going to say this first, there is a toxic masculinity and even being like, oh, they're kissing. They have to be, you know, like there, yeah. there's tax masculinity that, however, I will say this. I think the kiss is significant. If, if the themes are what pushes you over the edge, what, what makes you cross a threshold, right? So like, what if Louise has wanted this the whole time, you know, and it's just, and it's just like, it's like, what, what allows her to be free? You know what I mean? Like, what is the circumstances in which she could actually pursue what she wants? And which is the truth? And, the, and w- what if the truth is that she's wanted Thelma this whole time? You know? And, and so I think it just, it is. There's, a, there's a danger that you're making this relationship one-sided, though. Right. I don't like, think it's you, one-sided. You, I just think. Well, well, I'm saying you're not, you're, you're taking this from very much a Luis perspective of the power and the, the way this relationship goes and you're kind of taking away some of Thelma's agency in the relationship. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I think right now I, you're just looking at it all from the, what Louise wants. Louise has always wanted this. Louise wanted this relationship and Louise got what she wants. I feel like it, you're not, it, Thelma is, has just as much control and agency over the relationship as, as I, I don't, I don't disagree that Thelma has control and agency, but it is up to Louise if that's her feelings to express them. Right. And so like, what are the circumstances in which Louise is actually willing to express, express how she feels? Well, I also think it's interesting for talking about the kiss to know that the kiss wasn't scripted. The kiss wasn't oh, in the inter- that is interesting. Sarandon, from what I understand who in that scene was like, I'm just going to grab you and kiss you. Um, which again, for goes, I don't know, you could see it like both ways, but I, I just read it as like, again, like we're doing this together. This is like a very unique bond. Like they've grown into themselves so much and through each other. Um, I, I read it as just like a physical representation of that, like strength. And to be fair to you, Seth, I could see how like, Thelma's story is is sometimes, especially in that time period, a typical story of maybe someone who whose sexuality is on a spectrum where they were in high school, they met somebody, and they got married right away and have just only known that life and have never explored their sexuality and now have the freedom to. Like, that. I mean, how many people's stories have we heard that are like, oh, yeah, I was married, and then I realized, like, actually, that's not really what I wanted, but I got married because I thought this was... I needed to do like that's a very coming out of the 90s and early 2000s that was a very common story for for women uh on you know in the lgbtq community mm-hmm. um so i yeah. can see where you're where you might be pulling that from i mean i didn't know that it was an improvised kiss but i will say it adds a and a very interesting 
layer to the whole story. Hmm. Um, because inevitably, I mean, it brings sexuality into, into the conversation, hmm. you know, like what are the circumstances in which you would, if you are back closeted or unable to express yourself or even get around your own schemas of, of your sexuality, like what, what would, what are the circumstances in which you would pursue your desires? Yeah. I, I also thinking about that now, I think it's clear throughout the movie that Louise has like her guard being up has impacted her relationships with Jimmy, especially Jimmy, she yeah. like, he's soft with him for a second on the phone. And when he isn't super responsive, she closes back up again. And I think maybe she just is responding to feeling seen and feeling safe with somebody. Um, which she probably, I mean, it's probably very difficult for her to feel that way with anybody, um, given maybe like a mix of her, her trauma and her personality in general. Um, so that's probably a layer of it. And to add on to that, um, in the, in even more Seth, to even like take your, your thought and just take it a step further of like ultimate freedom. It's like the, (laughs) The societal look at two women kissing, right? What does that mean in that context, especially in the early 90s of like, okay, that's a romantic kiss, right? It has to be. It has to be. But isn't it also some maybe potentially like the ultimate expression of freedom to do it without the without the constraints and the, the, the societal categorization of, oh, because two women kiss, that's a romantic kiss? Yeah. Can't, can't they just be like, well, you know what? We're going to, you know. We're going to kiss and you try and impose something on that doesn't mean that's what we're, we're imposing on it. Right. An expression of like the, of, uh, subverting, subverting a societal uh, perspective. I agree. I, I definitely agree that that should be a thing. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But, but like what I'm saying is, is like, there is, I think, fruit to explore both ideas like like it has to be nuanced yeah it has to i mean it's 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 complicated i've read read bits of um you know whole whole um where do i want like essays or uh journal entries about um taking like queer theory and you know filtering them Thelma and louise through that so i know that it can be seen both ways and it is important to um that community in a lot of ways so i don't want to discount that either um, but it definitely, I can see how it's both. Mm-hmm. I also, um, the point you made, Ricky, about the when society sees two women kissing, I think part of why I love this movie so much, part of why it's so uh, interesting to watch, especially in the time period it was made, they are, I don't know, the whole thing feels like after they leave, after they start to like, they leave that bar, they go on the run, that whole male gaze thing that we're so used to in film and in life, it just slowly kind of disappears. It's kind of more about what they see and how they feel and how how they see the world and each other and themselves. And so by the end with that kiss, it doesn't feel like it's for anyone else. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it's to, you know, cause any controversy or like be spicy. It just feels like it's for them. And like the same thing with them, this whole thing where they're these like wild women, they say that a couple of times throughout the movie. 
And I feel like you see so many examples, especially in that time period of like, yes, you see like wild women, but they're for men's consumption. Mm. Um, they're like, you know, girls gone wild or like, you know, they're so like fun and, and loose and yes. for anything. And in this, they're wild in a way that feels so much more authentic to me and to the women that I know. Mm. And it's so much more human. It's like they're wild, but they're also like kind of like gritty and not that nice all the time. And and they're not like sweet and consumable. And I love that about it. Yeah, I totally agree. And and it's so interesting that, that, that you said that that kiss was not, was improvised. It was not planned because I was like, even, even like this idea of like, yeah, that kiss is not for anybody, but them it can even be like further uh, implied from the way that it's shot. Cause it's, shaky cammed like you, you know yeah. you barely oh, the kiss you kiss is like not like solid frame yeah. not like zoomed in on it's like yeah. this and you barely see it because it's in the commotion of them like going so it's not like lingered on it just happens and mm-hmm. it then it's gone like even so like it's not meant to be leered at right yeah no i i love that yeah i completely which agree. is interesting well it's like something that's i noticed before this particular kiss was all the other kisses in this film Mm. and the way that they're shot is so clunky and like like they're you see like you see the back of the head instead of their face and like it just feels like their heads just getting grabbed and pulled in you know and it's just like so like doesn't look pleasant none of the none of the kisses in this the rest of this movie look pleasant I don't know the Brad Pitt Gina Davis scene. It's hot. It's hot. Didn't look unpleasant. <laughs> it hot. That was such. A, that was also important for her, like yeah. her character. What a sexual like, awakening. Yeah, for her to be like a, an active part of her her sexuality and figuring out what she likes and like the way she comes into the diner after is so cute and so fun. She's I like, love it. So I did something naughty. <laughs> I am. I am insanely jealous of Brad Pitt in this film. Like. Brad Pitt's so good in this movie too. Insane. Like I know that this, I know that this made his career. Like this is what launched his career. I have wanted since I, I before I even, I have, like I said, I hadn't seen this movie, but I've seen clips with him in it. And, and like, I, this is what I wanted for my, for my career. I wanted to, I wanted to have a role that I got to be beautiful in. And, and then my career was made, you know? So I've always been jealous of Brad Pitt in this movie because, I mean, that's, that's to me, that's what, what's that? That's what he does in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And I, and not to always bring it back to like men versus women. I know like it's, um, sometimes more nuanced than that, but yes, that is his role in this to be like the object. And yeah. when Jane Davis is like, I love watching him walk away, all that stuff. Um, and yes, he's just kind of, he's there. He's beautiful. He gets a few funny lines. He kind of does a character thing with it. And yes, that launched his career. But like the fact that that's so often women's role in a movie and it doesn't launch them the way that it launched him mm-hmm. is really interesting to me and a little irksome. <laughs> but maybe it's because you don't see men portrayed that way that often. Well, yeah, and Ricky and I have talked about this a lot, actually, that there is kind of this like men, it's refreshing to see a man in this way. You know, because our society doesn't really allow for that, you know, mm-hmm. or it's not talked about when, when it is. So it's, 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 it's 
it's very rare that the man is allowed to be the most beautiful woman in the room. <laughs> you know? Yes. And Brad Pitt's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Um, that, that in this film, the other shocking, like the thing that hit me the like hardest, uh, the moment that hit me the hardest in this movie is right after, uh, they've been robbed and, uh, Louise is in the car. Fuck, fuck, shit, fuck. <laughs> and, uh, what are we going to do? And Thelma goes into the market you know, Yeah, and she's sitting in the car and she's like dissociating Yes. And, okay. Yeah. And she looks in the window, and there's these two old ladies just staring back at her, which causes her to put on lipstick. Which is like, what's that? She, she doesn't actually. She stops. Yeah, but she like thinks about it. Like she like goes to do it, and then Thelma is like, <laughs> so I, I just that moment. That moment hits me in a weird way. Uh, Why do you think? Uh, because it's like looking at the future and like, and like, this is what we all become. It's like, it's a mortality thing. It's like, it's, it's about living while, like, it's like, you better live now because like the future is kind of sad, which I think reinforces, reinforces their choices. Yeah. It also, is it two old women or is it an old man and an no, old woman? Cause it's two old women. It's two. Okay. Women. Um, it reminds me of the line. There's a couple of lines like this where they say something like I would have been my life was going to be ruined anyway. At least I'm having fun now. Mm. Um, so you're kind of trapped in one or the other thing. And yeah. you're, you're just right. Like, the minute the minute the, it's, the incident happens, your life is changed in one way or, or another. Right. Yeah. You get one. Honestly, four line is always something else that rings yeah. true. Yeah. I I think the where I connected with this movie the most is is. The, just watching the way that for me, it was the tech, the Texas scene where they're plotting out their, 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 their route to Mexico. And Gina Davis, Thelma is like, okay, if we just go through Texas and obviously Louise freaks out. Um, for me, that's that scene is the scene that like makes me like, I can feel like emotions are really like welling up in that, in that scene. Cause it's this, it is this acknowledgement of like she's so scared of this of her past that she can't even go into the state that it happened in yeah and that is heartbreaking to me and i think it's because i recognize a lot of like my own tendencies in that in this avoidance of trauma and like like literally just skirting skirting around it running away from it um, it's something that, I mean, Seth, Seth challenges me on this all the time, but like, I don't drink very much and drink very much. I don't, I don't partake in many, many forms of recreational fun. We'll put it that way. Um, don't engage with any of it. Uh, and part of that is, part of that is a fear of myself 
which is something that like Seth likes to to break down in me a lot or like analyze in me a lot a fear of of my own capabilities uh, to cause harm, but it's also a a a running away from kind of something that Seth brought up earlier, which was like this idea of like being you need to be smart, you need to be on your toes because people are out to get you. And if you're impaired in any mm-hmm. kind of way, you are vulnerable. Right. And that's obviously for, for, for me, there's trauma there of, of a fear of being, of being left vulnerable and not having my wits, wits about me. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that whole situation of seeing how far Louise will go to, to not face her, her trauma. And, and that, we'll avoid it at all costs. Like, yeah, I think that's, they're both kind of um, not free when they start for different reasons. But Thelma, or Louise, hers, I think her, like, prison or her, mm-hmm. the thing keeping her from feeling free is that fear. And that, um, and, and, it, and it does about. make me ask the question, could they have gotten to, Tex- to, to Mexico if they would have gone through Texas? I've actually never thought about that before. That's a very interesting question. Because that happens a little pretty early in the movie. They haven't been, they have not been located yet. No one yeah. know, really knows where, they kind of know where they're going, but they're ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could they, if they would have gone through Texas, could they have gotten to there Mexico? There were so many things they could have done differently to make it to Mexico. Well, if we're going to talk about, if we're going to talk about like, if it's her trauma that, you know, the fact that she couldn't talk about this thing, the fact that it's, um, years of shame about it and um, avoidance, if she had been able to, if it was like a, a world, well, ideally where that didn't happen, but a world where she could talk about it without feeling that shame and that guilt, she probably wouldn't have shot that that's guy the whole. All. That's also the whole point. It's like her, her, the fact that she has unresolved trauma is why she shot him. Right. Yeah. Because he was not a danger at that point. You know, they were out of, she had the gun. He, right. there's nothing he could do right. at that point to threaten her and because yeah and i think it just is a good um example of like the world that we've built is one that ultimately becomes more dangerous for everyone it's more dangerous for women obviously and the fact that no one will talk about it i mean that didn't end great for any of the men in the movie Mm. so whatever was it just wasn't it's not working Mm. what were you saying not to mention they could have switched they could have gone to canada they were in utah that's about as close to mexico as canada is they got pretty close to Mexico. I mean, the, the way this, like, the only, to me, the only, re- like, this movie's only realistic up to the assault scene. Like, the assault scene is realistic. It's viscerally realistic. It's, it's very terrifying realistic. Uh, and even, like, her shooting him is realistic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, it's like, it is a, it's a romance. Uh, it's, it's it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy, you know? So, like, realistically, they could have probably made it to Mexico. Um, but that's not the story, you know? Like, right. that's, that's, that's not what we're exploring here. And, um, I mean, because, like, some of the shit they did, it, like... It's, it's you can't get out. over you can't get over them blowing up the gas. Why the are gas you calling truck? the police? Why are you calling the police? That was, 
Yeah, no, but that was a really funny scene. That's one of my favorite scenes, that phone call, when he answers and he's like, hello. <laughs> She's like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I mean, I, I, I could have accepted it just being that. Like, okay, yeah. you, you wanted the bit. I get it. Like, that, you're justifying the bit. Like, I get it. But to call back, like, I, I just makes no sense. The way I justify that is I think there's a part of her that is still trying to save Thelma. I think she's a part of her is like, well, maybe he's, yeah, yeah. she's trying to gauge how mad are the police at them. Yeah. And like, who's in trouble and who, and then, you know, Thelma robs the place and she's like, well, okay, I guess. Yeah. Also that scene's so cute where she's like, now she's wanted for armed robbery and their little exchange where she's like points to her. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. That was a little, she's like, yeah, like they're yeah. Out, they got you. I did. I did do that. Their dynamic is so, so cute. I, I feel like this movie's hard to talk about ourselves because like the major, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to cross into things like sexual assault and uh, things of that nature, but maybe, maybe an angle for us to like, cause like, here's, I mean, Megan, we're still getting used to you. Not that, not that, that we're unwilling. It's just dynamics have changed. So it's like, we're all a little bit more guarded, I think, than we would normally, Ricky and I normally would be, um, which will be a, a process, I think, um, as we get to know each other better. But like I, the question I pose, uh, I guess, if I were going to try to glean some personal reflection out of this is, has there ever been a moment in your life where everything changed? Like you crossed a threshold in your, your personality and you went over the edge, you know, and everything was different. Um, I can go first on this one just to help break the ice a little bit. It's one I've, I've brought up on this show before, on the podcast before, um, but I, I choosing not to go into specifics just because the people involved and things like that. But they, I've brought up that as I've reflected more over the last year of doing this podcast and like really like looked at again, why I do the things I do, why I behave the way I behave, why I tend to be so guarded in social situations as we've talked about many, many times. And for me, I I mean, I know you like to bring it back to my childhood trauma and I'm sure that's there of like, uh, Megan, I don't know if you, you know, I've listened to the podcast where we talk about this, but I was, I was attacked by a dog yeah, when I was five and, uh, Seth likes to think that that's made me very distrusting of, of the world. Like the world's probably going to snap at me for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. And that's there uh, for, for me, I can pinpoint a change in personality. Cause I don't think that changed my personality necessarily. I think I was a pretty open, vulnerable kid um, mm-hmm. growing up. I was pretty vulnerable. I, I, I made myself vulnerable and that's fair <laughs> to anybody who came after me. I made myself vulnerable. It's fine. But I know, I know the moment I changed. I know the exact moment I changed and the moment I stopped being social, the moment I stopped putting, going out and hanging out with people, the moment I I started not letting my guard down in social situations. I know, I know that moment. I know when it changed. It was, it was my freshman year of high school. I know when it was Um, because it's so clear to me and there's a lot of shame built into that moment and there's a lot of, uh, self-blame for that moment because it is like that idea of like 
I should have been paying more attention. I should have been more aware of what was going on. I should have been savvy to what people were doing. Mm. And I was not. And so there is a lot of, a lot of, uh, self-loathing that goes along with that. Um, Blaming yourself. mm Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and, and that is what continues to affect me to this day is like when I go out with friends, uh, I don't drink. If I do, it's a drink and it's very early on in the night um, because I don't want to be susceptible to anybody. Mm-hmm. People that, and it's not just anybody, it's not like strangers, it's people I trust, people I think yeah. I trust. I don't so- want to be susceptible to people I trust mm-hmm. or I think I trust. And so I, I do have that, Seth. It, it has changed my life significantly. And recently I've been working very hard to be more social, to let my guard down more, to allow myself to have more fun. So on the when I was away for the wedding, for my sister's wedding, I had a drink probably every one, at least one every night, if not a couple more. Um, didn't let myself get drunk at all, but it was also, you know, it was still very measured and controlled consumption. But it was more than so than I had in a long, long time. And that kind of has continued here back in the States, back uh, in my social life here in L.A., where like I went and we had a Dungeons and Dragons session the other night. I had a I had a drink before we started and that was, and it was everything was fine. And then the other night, Justin and I were hanging out, my roommate, and we, we had a drink while we were watching the first episode of Last of Us, you know, mm-hmm. and like. I'm letting myself trust that no one's going to hurt me if I indulge a little, which is something new for me. And it is scary. So that's scary, but also how nice to let yourself be happily surprised by people, Mm -hmm. you know, to put yourself in that position and, you know, be older and in a place where you can pick who you surround yourself with Mm -hmm. and to see that those choices were good ones so far. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that'll be really great. I think it'll keep keep being good. So, uh, and and that kind of gives more insight to why, particularly the like Louise scene of like Texas and all her her running away from and her like you, like Megan was saying her trauma being the thing that starts the movie. Like that's mm-hmm. why the movie happens because of her running away from and making a decision based on an emotional reaction to something she's choosing to to avoid. Mm-hmm. So I get that. Um, I don't. Seth, did you want to go? I mean, I can, I, I can go. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a weird question. I mean, it's hard to maybe necessarily pinpoint one thing in your life that makes you go over threshold, but like, I mean, loss of virginity for me was one, you know, uh, especially from like a religious point of view, because it put me in this new category that I didn't know how to fit into, which eventually made me go down darker roads than I ever would have gone down. Um, so like that moment is definitely like significant in my life. You know, I would say it's a, uh, very pivotal moment for me because it, it forced me to like look at myself in a different way like it, it, it destroyed my schema of myself at the time mm-hmm. um i was 16 and uh had a girlfriend and uh 
uh, I was like pretty like straight laced Christian kind of kind of situation. And uh, I showed up at her house one day with some Chinese food and um, and Spider Man, and <laughs> she showed up at the door in a thong and uh, and the bikini top, and was like, "We have three hours." And I was like, whoa, you know, and I, I, I was not ready, you know, I was not ready. I didn't want to, uh, but I was also 16 and had no control over myself, essentially. So it happened. And then I threw up because I was so, I felt so guilty about it. And then post that it was like just like a domino effect throughout my life of like okay i'm no longer like i have already crossed this threat thre this threshold right so like there's no going back at this point so like mm -hmm. it definitely forced me to like really reevaluate my sense of self um because i used to define myself I, i've said that i used i said this to my sister i've said this to my sister a whole bunch she always quotes me back. She says, don't define yourself by the things you don't do. Because the moment you do them, how do you know who you are? You know, mm -hmm. so, and that's definitely, how, that was me prior to my virginity loss at 16. But, yeah. And then like literally still figuring it out, you know? Yeah. I think that's, um, that don't define yourself by the things you don't do. That's a very big, important, um, just put words to something that I think just hits home. Um, I don't know if I have one like big moment. I think there are a few. Um, I, I don't know. I grew up like very sheltered, well, pretty sheltered. Um, Pretty, and like kind of self-imposed, just kind of like scared of everything um, and thought that I had to be a certain way, not even because of like any religious upbringing or anything. I just like, I was like, this is what a good girl does. And this is what they don't do. Even though I was always like, yeah, do whatever you want. I was like, but I don't do those things. You know, I party and like have boyfriends. I didn't really do anything except for like watch movies and study and hang out with my best friend. Um, and then out of high school, I think just there were a few experiences. Um, I got into a car accident when I was like 18 or 19. My car flipped. Um, and in that moment, I was sure I was going to die. Like I was like, oh, like yeah. the whole like life flashing before your eyes thing, like completely happened. Mm. Um, and I was like, I don't know, 18, 19. And the only thought I remember having is I'm not done. And that was a really big moment for me because I was like, well, like, it was just a really solid example of like, none of this is guaranteed and you know what life you want, or at least you know how to like find, figure out the life you want. So you might as well start doing that. So that was a big one. Um, honestly, every breakup I've had has been a big one. Those are very like, yeah. of kind of re-examining who you are and, and making yourself kind of question your own actions and, and your accountability for stuff. Um, I think this movie hits so close to home for me because, again, it's that, like, once something crosses over in you and you feel awake, you can't go back. Um, that also has to do with, like, you know, I think the trend towards more feminist 
ideas while I was growing up. I feel like that became much more culturally um, allowed. And then I, you know, I majored in, or minored in women's studies. That was a very big deal because I was just like, oh, I'm allowed to like once you see those things and those systems, and even like in your day to day relationships and interactions, you can't unsee them, and you can't go back. Otherwise, you have to like squash a part of yourself that's now so important to like. If I feel like I'm being my authentic self, I absolutely can't ignore those things. Um, so yeah, just like a little, all of those blended up. Mm. Is feeling more awake. All uh, turning points in our life, I guess, is, is, you know, times where we took a different road than maybe we expected. Um, yeah. And, and here was where we ended up. Uh, not too bad, I'd say. Right? Unless, At least so far. The journey's not over yet. Unless we're already dead. <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> well, I think that's a, a really awesome place to end our conversation of Thelma and Louise today. Uh, Seth and Megan, thank you so much for sharing and putting you guys yourself out there today. Always appreciate it. Um, thank you all at home for listening uh, to our discussion of uh, Thelma and Louise. Uh, please share your thoughts about the movie. If you would like to, you can do that uh, on our Instagram. You can do that uh, through leaving a review on Apple podcasts or on Spotify. You can do all those things. Uh, please do. Um, however, it's time for us to talk about what's next. What film are we going to be discussing next time? And it is – you're beaming, Seth. You're so excited to tell us what we're going to do. It's so funny. Uh, go ahead, Seth. Tell us what we're going to be watching next week. Uh, so, you know, I feel like this this podcast is about art reflect, reflecting life, right? Yeah. And uh, I just couldn't help, but there's a movie right now that's pretty popular. Uh-huh. And it's just very reflective <laughs> of where we're at in this podcast. So, uh, look at her face. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she started backing away. Oh no! <laughs> so we're gonna watch the new horror film. No, no, Megan. <laughs> so mean. <laughs> you gotta there's gotta be a little hazing you know a little bit and i think inevitably it's gonna like you know it's gonna be good i think there's gonna be things we're gonna be able to you're, there's no way we're not gonna be able to think about megan while watching I, this so i actually I, just saw, watched, went and saw it yesterday oh uh with a, with a couple of friends okay. who were like it was just spontaneous we, i was I, I was hanging out and they're like make the movie megan is showing in an hour do you guys want to go and i was like okay <laughs> So I've seen it. Uh, All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm yes. very excited. The only way that I would watch it is if somebody were forcing me to. So th- thank you. Ma- yeah. Megan, <laughs> Megan, I want the record to show that I said this was a, ba- this was a bad idea and that we shouldn't do it. But Seth insisted. That's, uh, actually, you. I have the record. No, uh, no, no. I have, no, I have receipts. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it the second <laughs> I said, Seth, I think that's mean. We shouldn't do this. (laughs) And he said, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) And then he sent me devil emojis. It'll be interesting. (laughs) It'll be fun. It'll be fun. I think you guys will like it. It looks fun. It looks goofy. It is is goofy. You cannot – I'll say this. You cannot go into it with any preconceived notions because it is silly. It's the dance in the trailer. That's when I was like, nope, this is going to ruin my life. She's a good dancer. 
<laughs> she's <laughs> not a bad dancer. Uh, I will say I, it, it, it was a little bit of what I expected and a little bit of not what I expected. Well, so I'll say that. It's important to face our fears. So I figured we should, you know, when I found out that you were like, oh, this movie's going to ruin my life. I figured we should it's just. just like, and yeah. Well, she spells it with a, she spells it with a three. That's true. You spell it That's with a, you spell, you spell it very differently than most other people. That's true. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. it's good to face myself in the form of a, what I'm assuming is a killer robot doll. What makes you say that? Doll. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she's not that nice. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, so for all you watching along at home, yes, we will be watching Megan. Uh, Megan is in theaters right now. You can probably find it. It's one of the biggest movies out right now, so you can probably find it at most any cinema near you. Um, so uh, we always understand that uh, going out to see and paying to see a new movie uh, is an endeavor so if you don't get to seeing it this week that's okay check it out when you can or when it comes out on on streaming uh and then come back to this the this next episode uh that's always okay um but we'll see you then uh so before we go why don't we go ahead and do some shout outs so uh megan go ahead and shout yourself out real quick Okay. Um, you can find me really just on Instagram, uh, M-E-A-G-H-A-N underscore Jane 61. That's the only place I am. Awesome. And Seth? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Seth Adam Crow. You can also find me on Twitter at The Birdie Word. That's T-H-E-B-I-R-D-Y-W-O-R-D. And SethCrow.com. And that's always Crow with an E. All right, and I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz on Instagram and TikTok. That is Blade with a Y, R-I-C-A-R-D-O-B-L-A-Y-D-E-D-I-A-Z, just like my name is spelled. And you can find this show, the What's It About Film Podcast. We have new episodes coming out every Friday morning on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find your podcast. You'll probably find us there. Uh, and if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at WeAPodWhat on Twitter at what's it about podcast on Instagram and at what's it about pod on TikTok. Otherwise, we will see you again next time. Bye. Adios. Bye.